One does not simply walk into geekdom. You're entering the Nerd United Nations podcast. You're a nerd. Damn right. I'm a nerd. Naturally. All things geek are up for grabs. Music. Skits, comedy, or sitcoms. Dr. Who. I love Tim. Hurt. The Flash. Green Lantern. The Trinity. Batman. Superman. Wonder Woman. The Joker. Wait a minute. I want to talk about the Joker. Star Wars. Love me some Star Wars. Magic. I'm an art guy. Paranormal. Halloween is life. Now, here's your ambassadors, Melissa Nicholson and Jared Boots. Hey, nerds and nerdettes. Welcome back to part two of our favorite sequels. As you know, we like to ramble on a bit, so that's why I had to break it into two episodes. Think of it as getting more bang for your buck. But then again, you don't pay anything for this, so more nerdy pleasure for you. Uh, this part, we're going to get our number five through our number one on favorite sequels, so hopefully we don't drag our feet as much. So, Melissa and Jared from the past, as they say Mighty Python, get on with it! So, Melissa, what is your number five? Uh, my number five is Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> party on dudes <laughs> yeah this one i have not seen in quite a long time actually um it's one i gotta watch again but i remember when i when i first saw it you know just it was you know just as fun as the first and you know um and i remember really enjoying it and I've certainly seen I've I I will say I've seen the first one more times than I've seen the second one, um, just because I love the first one so much. Um, but I definitely I definitely enjoy the second one. It's it's just as fun, and I and I'm looking forward to the new one too. <laughs> yeah. I just recently watched. I just finished, before actually before we started recording. I just finished my rewatch of Bogus Journey just because watching the second trailer put me in the mood to double feature both films and uh it is one i do enjoy uh i do like it i like the first one a lot more and i've seen the first one way more mm-hmm. but uh but I, I said back when we we're talking about our honorable mentions we're talking about gremlins 2 um i wanted to compare it to bill and ted because much like how you get the first Gremlins movie and Gremlins 2 are two completely different movies. The same is with, and but they still coexist in the same uh, universe. So Gremlins 2 is a lot more sillier, but also acknowledges the first the events of the first film did happen. Um, so it kind of did its own thing there. And that's one thing I think I like about Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is it's different from the first one they still have the time travel aspect of it but they don't rely on it as heavy as uh the second one uh, this first one did yeah so you don't have bill and ted flying all over through time again but i do like i do like the different approach to them dying 
going to hell, going to heaven, and then and you get your you get your historical characters in there with when they go to heaven. You see like Ben Franklin and Einstein and uh, Confucius. So you see them in heaven. So you, there you get your references there of like seeing your historical figures. And at the beginning of the film, when Rufus is teaching at uh, the Bill and Ted University at the beginning of the movie, you get uh, the guy from Faith No More, and you get uh, who was it? I can't remember who else they brought in there, but I know they they name dropped Bach, and they name dropped the time travel stuff there too. Mm-hmm. But I did like how it's different, but still pay it, it. It's different. It's a different tone. It, it, but at the same time, still has the same tone as the first one did. Still like lighthearted and funny, mm-hmm. but it's still that dark element of in, in there of them dying. Um, it brings back a lot of the original cast, with the exception of the princesses. They get different actresses to play the princesses, which, um, if you're going to replace anybody, I go that one probably could be the most. Like, and from what I looked at the third movie, I think we're getting different actresses to play the princesses in the third one too. Mm-hmm. So that'd be like the only inconsistency throughout the all three films is the who actresses that play the princesses. Yeah. Uh, unless they are the same, they just don't have their IMDb's complete. But uh, according to IMDb, it's different princesses and throughout the movies. But uh, yeah. and speaking of casting, I think George Carlin is gonna. It's gonna be the hard. Hard thing missing from the third one. Yeah, that was that was my f- my first thought when seeing the third, uh, one, like th- the trailer for the third one, um, the, like the first time and then seeing the second one. That was that was hard. It was like the first, like I immediately thought of him and it was just like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like it's, I I'm really excited for the movie. I, don't get me wrong, I definitely cannot wait to see it, but. It's going to be weird not to see George Carlin in it. That's going to be kind of tough, I think. <laughs> but yeah. hopefully they kind that, of... That's not... Go ahead. I, I hope like they kind of maybe have some kind of little homage to him or something. Like There's got to be a little something in there. You know, but yeah. Well... That thought came across my mind more before the trailers, but it was more when the movie was announced. It's like, oh, there's going to be no George Carlin. Yeah, that, for think, me too, yeah. But I, think, but I think Kristen Shaw, when we just saw in the lat, the most previous trailer, I think she might be Rufus's daughter, because, which is not retconny at all, because it is mentioned in the first movie that Rufus does have a daughter, because she's a huge Wild Stallions fan. Mm-hmm. But, um, but going back to uh, and uh, Melissa and I talk before we start recording. Once Bill and Ted Face the Music comes out, we're going to do a whole episode just based around the tri- the Bill and Ted trilogy. So uh, we can we'll share more thoughts on it then. Um, but going back to Bo- Bill and Ted's bogus journey, um, I do like the addition of William Sadler as his death because. Um, William Sadler definitely is like this now with the passing of Dick Miller and another actor I can't think of his name right now who were labeled quote unquote that guy actors where you see him in all these things like oh it's that guy <laughs> William Sadler William Sadler I think is like the new that guy actor since Dick Miller has passed because um, 
his portrayal of because Winifred Taylor appears in a lot of things like the Shawshank Redemption, The Mist, uh, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, Tales from the Crypt, Bordello of Blood. He just appears in so many things in these bit parts, and he's so good not not all of them. But his portrayal of I love his portrayal of death. <laughs> it's just, him being a sore he play him playing it so dry when you first meet him, and then when you find out he's a, he's a sore loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh, then farther towards the end, he just like wants so much he wants attention from Bill and Ted because Station's getting all the credit for making the robot Bill and good. The good robot Bill and Ted's like, well, I I pushed the cart. <laughs> I got. I, I keep trying to get. He's just trying to get a little bit of credit and all stuff. And he, the fact that he like death develops throughout the movie and just becomes more of a comical character. And I think William Sadler like just crushed it. Like death is like one of the best parts of Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Bill and Ted's bogus journey is like a very Solid sequel. Even like even with the, it's goofy with the the evil robot Bill and Ted's and them going to hell. See, their their personal hells are all pretty scary though. Mm-hmm. That's a creepy looking Easter Bunny. Yep. <laughs> and I do I do like the, I do like the I do like the, the joke the running joke of uh, uh, Missy divorcing Bill's dad and marrying Ted's dad. <laughs> You get that quick shot of uh, Bill's dad looking so depressed. The prince's birthday party. <laughs> if you then if you watch the credits, uh, Missy divorces Ted's dad and marries. Uh, I just watched movie. I can't think. I can't think of the villain's name from Bogus Journey. About well, Missy marries the villain from Bogus Journey. <laughs> and I, I did. I did see an IMDb. Missy is going to be in Bill and Ted Face the Music, so we're going to see who she marries in this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I, do, I do love the running gag of, that's your mom, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any more to talk about Bill and Ted before we move on? No, I think that's it. We can move on to our next one. Yes, Bill and Ted, Bogus Journey, very solid sequel to uh, to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure does hold that nostalgia just a little more than Bogus Journey, but but we'll talk more about it when we get face the music, and we'll dedicate a whole episode to Bill and Ted. What? Yeah. Oh, one quick note going back to how we talked about in uh, Grumpy Old Men, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves have that perfect on-screen chemistry too. Absolutely, and I would I would have liked I would have liked to see them in more things too, besides mm-hmm. Bill and Ted. But maybe they thought that'd be too much of a comparison. But hey. uh, but they're they're a lot like Abbott and Costello or Walter Matthau and Jock Lemon or Kevin Hart and, and Dwayne Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one I was thinking of, another on-screen duo is uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, who are people just do yes that are just gold when they work together. Yeah. That was, that, sl- that was one that was one that's that's that slipped my mind earlier when we were talking about grumpy old men. Mm. But uh, but yeah, Bill and Ted, Bogus Journey, solid sequel. Cool. 
Yeah. Uh, my number five. My number five is a sequel to one of my favorite movies of all time, and that's Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. And uh, <clears throat> much like a lot of my other sequels on this list, it's a big nostalgia thing for me. I watched the first two Revenge of the Nerds movies growing up a lot as a kid. You get a lot of the returning cast. It is... a. I could see it being a rehash of the first movie in many ways. Um, a lot of callbacks. Essentially, it's the same plot, just in a different setting. Mm. Um, and the Alpha Betas are the core villain like they are in the well the first three of the four movies the alpha betas are the main protagonists of the film and it is it a rehashing of the first one yeah i could i could see if you want to make that complaint if you want to make that grievance yeah it is essentially a rehashing of the first film just in florida instead of adams college but uh the fact that you get some of these returning characters and it takes place not long after the events of the first film. And uh, still very funny. You still got that good chemistry from a lot of the characters. And it still holds up. Um, well, probably pop culture. Probably. I'd say it probably holds up the same as the first one did, actually. Um, probably some things you can't throw in movies again nowadays. and But. Still holds up fairly well. Just watching it so much as a kid, I probably watched the first one more than this one. But if I'm ever going to watch number one, I'll throw in number two again right away in a heartbeat. I just enjoyed it so much. Plus, Poindexter being Timothy Busfield as Poindexter being one of my favorite nerds, and this is the only other sequel we get him in. Mm-hmm. I'd say he's just as funny, if not more funny, in this one than he is in the first one because I think they gave him more. They gave Poindexter more to do in this film. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, he, he's he's there, but he's also not there too much in the first one. So yeah, he's definitely more in the second. And I, I actually, you know, I actually enjoyed him a lot more in the second one. Because he was just so much more that he was doing. And he was just <laughs> even more funny. Yeah. Why did they, they let the guy, the nearsighted guy, drive the tank? because that makes all the sense (laughs) (laughs) but i i do i do i do love point dexter probably my favorite point dexter scene in this film is when he's talking to the cardboard cutout when they first get to the hotel (laughs) 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 he just walks walks into walks into the pool (laughs) <laughs> the suit to walk up to the bar. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, such a good film. And look, why don't you shed a little light on it? Shit, um, give me share some of your thoughts about uh Yeah, I it was um you know, certainly uh, agreed on. The, you know, it was a, a bit of a rehash on the on the first one, but definitely told in a different way, and I think a little bit more of a fun way. Um, just with the ridiculousness of stuff that they go through, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like oh, they get you know the manager of the the temporary 
acting manager, you know, kicks them out of the hotel because, you know, they're nerds and, uh, and then they, you know, they find the, oh, the five star hotel, they find something, you know, also good. And, oh, it ends up being like the sketchiest, <laughs> sketchiest place ever. <laughs> like, you, you couldn't have found anything worse, but, you know, and then just all the, the stuff that follows after that and, and, you know, I, I definitely, you know, enjoyed it. And it was just, <laughs> it was just um, a, a lot of fun. And, and my, like, my favorite part is when they, they you know, they change this, the, not really change the sign of the hotel, but, you know, take out, <laughs> turn on certain parts of the, the sign. <laughs> yeah. Uh, much like the manager, the when I was a kid watching this movie, see, this came out in '87. So, I I think I watched the first Revenge of the Nerds, and I was like four or five years old. So I probably watched this one at like five, six, seven years old. And like, like manager of the hotel, when it, they changed the sign, Hotel Coral Essex into Hot Oral Sex, and <laughs> much like the the reaction of the managers, I don't get it. Like being a kid, I, I didn't get it then either, but when you grow up like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So much fun. That's a joke. that's a lot funnier when you're an adult than when you're a kid. Oh yeah. When <laughs> you're a kid. That guy, like, especially <laughs> that guy crashes his car. When he looks up and sees it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely yeah. a great film. I, I, I'd say, in my opinion, uh, Nerds in Paradise does stand toe to toe with uh, Revenge of the Nerds. It's it, it makes for a good double feature. Yeah, absolutely. Like I would, I would certainly watch, you know, the first one and then and then watch the the second one right after that. Because um, yeah, they're they're both worth watching, and they're just both you know hilarious and and like i love when um you know like poindexter and he's got the metal detector and he's going around and like stepping over people stepping on them and then oh you find something and oh it's oh it's another metal detector <laughs> <laughs> i like i like his reaction i like his reaction wow that's cool <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of enthusiastic too like really you would <laughs> That's like a level of disappointment, but for you, it's like, oh wow, <laughs> that's wow. cool. Well, I, 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 no, he doesn't say excited. He just says it's so dry. It just says it in that it's, dry point. Like, like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> like he's excited. It's not that. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. It's not over jubilant, but it's like, wow, but that's it, cool. <laughs> it's it's his level of excitement where it's like, yeah, he's he, yeah, he's genuinely. Happy to have found this. <laughs> I think I can't remember who's digging it up. Whether I can't remember if it's Wormser or Booger or Lamar that's helping him dig it up. <laughs> just gonna give, they kind of give him that. They kind of give him that look. <laughs> like wow, that's cool. like what? <laughs> I think it was, I want to say it was Wormser. I think so. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. And. I do like the I like the the addition of Ogre in this movie too. I thought Ogre was a good comic relief in this movie. Like when the the, the Florida Alphabetas are gonna throw uh, throw them out of the boat, and Ogre kind of or Booger kind of tricks Ogre into like not throwing them off the boat. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very much a rehash of the first one, but still fun. It still oh, yeah. keeps that same. It's still as fun as the first one. And Absolutely. Then after three and four, you start. Three and four are quote unquote good, but they're made for TV, so. It's trying to recapture the, the same spark that the first two had, or at least the first one did. Yeah, I I still I I still do want to see those, and I know it's not going to be as good, but nah, just you know, basically to say I've seen all of them, and then that's it, and then I just you know stick with the first and the second one. <laughs> and much like other films, like. Uh, franchises and past you start to get less and less of the re- recurring characters yeah. some of them pop up because i think by the time you get to four you only have curtis armstrong uh larry b scott who plays lamar uh, and robert carradine who plays lewis i think those are probably three i think the only three that appear in all four movies yeah. <clears throat> so, so Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. That's a good one. Uh, yeah. Melissa, what, what is your number four? Uh, my number four is Toy Story 2. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I really like this movie. It, it has... You know, like the first Toy Story, it had, you know, it was a lot of fun. There was a little bit of heart to it. But certainly the second one, more so. Um, Especially with Jessie's story and, you know, learning her backstory and all that. Like that that, that was a little bit, you know, heart-wrenching, like to hear, you know, her story. And so you got that little bit of heart. And, you know, I like the the toys going on their their adventure to save Woody after he's been taken by... um, Al and um, yeah, it's just it's 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 a lot of fun and I, and it's actually you know I think maybe I like it a little bit more than the first one um, because it is just so much more of an adventure and just you know more stuff happens and and it's just that that even more funny and um, yeah you know and you know I especially like you know like Mrs. Potato Head and packing up. <laughs> Mr. Potato Head, and, you know, <laughs> packing up all the things, and it's just hilarious. Like, oh, you're you're packing up your angry eyes just in case, and <laughs> snacks, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, and then like, yeah, Emperor Zerg is a bit of a play on Star Wars, but I think it's still fun. I think it it works for the movie. Um, you know, it's it's you know, I I really enjoy it. It's a super fun movie, and and I and I like it. So yeah, I haven't seen Toy Story two in a long time, and you're and, and you're right. Je- Jesse's backstory does. I think of all. Th- well, I haven't seen Toy Story four yet, but uh, of the three I've seen between Jesse's backstory. Lots of hugging bears backstory, and then 
Woody trying to cope with him not being in Indy territory anymore from the first film. I think Jesse's story of those three kick, kicks you right in the feels, man, with, with steel toe cleats, with steel cleats, man. That's oh, like the absolutely. worst of the, of the three. Absolutely. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen Toy Story 4 yet, so I can't speak to what the big gut heart-wrenching scene is in that film, but... um. Yeah, I I don't like I've seen I've seen Toy Story four and I don't see what the heart wrenching is. Maybe I've completely missed the point. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's it's a cute film. Um, it it's just another adventure of the toys and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, it's for me the series ends at three. It ends it so well. Like, it just, it's all that kind of complete story, and it just ends, and that's it. Like, four, eh, it's just another, it doesn't really continue anything. Um, Cash just, grab. Yeah, that's basically what it is. It's just another separate, it, it's it's a own story, pretty much, is what it is. Um, but yeah, like, I, I, I like Toy Story 1, 2, and 3, and then that's kind of where that ends with me. <laughs> I'm I'm um, I'm man enough I'm man enough to admit I shed tears at Toy Story three. Yeah, and I had to be I had to be like I think I had to be about your age too when Toy Story three came out too. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was um, yeah that that one definitely got got you right in the feels in Toy Story three. That was <laughs> yeah. oh. But it really good though, really really good. I I do remember enjoying two a lot when it came out. Probably like probably liking it just a little bit more than the first one, just because we got it, it seemed like so much funnier and I was yeah. even too young to recognize like the difference in graphics and everything at the time. Um, just enjoying it so much more, and I liked Stinky Pete as a villain. Oh quote-unquote villain spoiler for the end of it but uh yeah. <laughs> i think i just like the plot of it a little bit more than the first one even though i still love watching the first one as much as i love watching all the sequels in the franchise yeah. um but yeah you, you mentioned like the star wars thing with zerg uh i do like the jaw the jurassic park shout out with a uh, rex chasing the uh, Barbie's car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's a nice little call. Yeah. That was a nice little callback. I think yeah. if I if I had to pick one thing I didn't like about Toy Story Two, probably be the whole aliens being adopted by the potato heads. I just yeah. find I, I'm I'm probably the only person that finds the aliens annoying. I found them annoying in the first. That's like like the first thing I don't like in the first movie is the aliens and they they kind of like you know I I didn't mind them so much like I, I thought they were kind of funny but they weren't my favorite. Um, but they play more they play more more pivotal point in the first film than they do in the sequels. Yeah, oh exactly. They're they're kind they, of the they background. Serve, they they serve a purpose in the first one, and they. Much like the much like the minions in the Despicable Me franchise, they serve a purpose in the first movie, then just become annoying in the subsequent sequels. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely, yeah, Toy Story 2 was, was super fun and, and, um, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, definitely enjoyed that one. Um, I might like it more than the first one because there's just so much more that, you know, there's so much more that goes on in the in the in the movie too. So, yeah, it seems like the first one's just like testing the waters a little bit. Yeah, like it's testing the waters, it's getting to know the characters. Um, yeah, they you know they have the the stuff with Sid and and you know, all the, the toy torture that he does and then it's them redeeming themselves and getting all the toys together to get him. Um and it, it it's it's good, you know, but the second one definitely is better because it's 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 not so much testing the waters. It's you you've know these characters, you know who they are, and now let's go and do something with them. Yeah. The the testing the water is essentially at the point of like, okay, Telling this movie through the eyes of a toy, will it work? And they gave it, yeah. they gave you like a, I don't want to call it like a basic plot, but in a way it kind of is like a basic plot with the whole quote unquote power struggle between Woody and Buzz to be Andy's favorite toy and Andy growing up a little bit and mm-hmm. the uh, space toys taking over the Western toys and all that stuff and. But, uh, like number one, we're not shitting on number one at all. We still love number one, but number two just the the plot for number two seems a little more complex. Yeah, and it's a little, and little more, a little more, a little more, a uh, little more content, a little more, a little meatier. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot more confident in itself too. Like it's it's not. So kind of is this gonna like pulling a pin out of a grenade and just going for it, you know? Um, it's it's a lot more, um, a lot more confident, and it knows, you know, it, it knows its place and what it's doing in the story and all that kind of stuff, and and uh, yeah, I, I I love it. Now I feel like a rebel because I own an unedited version of Toy Story Two because now they have since taken the. Stinky Pete uh, post-credit scene out of the film now. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I don't, I don't own. I don't think I actually have Toy Story two, which is something that needs to be rectified. <laughs> I think I have, I'm I'm starting to think the reason why I still own it is just because of the fact that. It's not the version that they took out the Stinky Pete part, so like, I think I'm going to hold on to it just for that reason alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I still... Um, like, I have the first Toy Story uh, on VHS still. I have that. I can't watch it because I don't own a VCR anymore, uh, but I still have it. <laughs> <laughs> And kids are like, what? That's a VHS. <laughs> really want to blow their minds to ask them what a Betamax is. Oh, God. <laughs> I had done that one time with a group of kids, and I said, oh, I had VHS. And they're like, what? 
It is, it's a tape, and I actually had to show them a picture of what the VHS looked like. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> you really want to blow their minds to show them how much those things used to cost back in the day. Yeah, really. <laughs> those things used to be insanely expensive. Yeah. Like hundreds of bucks to own a VHS tape. Yep. Absolutely. But I think but I think I've heard on various podcasts that like Top Gun Top Gun and Batman eighty nine were like two of like the first movies to be priced to own. But I think I remember like the first child's play movie being like eighty, ninety bucks on VHS when it came out. Wow. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> so now, yeah. So now you see a, so yeah. So now, kids, you think it five bucks or twenty bucks is a lot for a Blu-ray? <laughs> think again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Toy Story two. My number four is uh, Batman Returns. And now, do you want to interrupt me here before I start talking about it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it it might be uh you know what, spoiler alert, it's gonna be my number three. <laughs> I'm no mind reader. I have Melissa's list ahead of time. <laughs> so Melissa's number three, my number four is Batman Returns. Melissa, do you want to start talking about it or do you want me to start? I can start talking about it. Um, Go for it. Um, yeah, I definitely... Uh, I, I, I like this movie. I think it's 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 really, really good. And, and um, you know, the, the cast of characters that they have. And it just... I find this one really oozes Tim Burton. Like, a thousand percent. <laughs> you know, the the... You know, the previous one, eh, not so much, but this one, absolutely. And I think and I think it really emphasizes that with Penguin because he's that kooky character and and I think just who he is, whatever, and I, and he just yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's absolutely like Tim Burton's world. It's kooky and it's dark and it's you know um, like it's it's got humor, and you know it's yeah all those kind of things, and and um, you know I I really really enjoy it. You know, um, it's it's a, it I find it to be it's it's a little bit dark, but then it's also a really fun film to watch. Um, you know I I love the performances from everybody, and and uh, yeah, it's a really great film. Oh, I'm gonna kind of half agree with you on that. Um, I could, yeah, Batman Returns is very much a Tim Burton film. I'd say Batman Nine still has a Tim Burton feel to it too. It's got a Tim Burton look and feel to it, but more so in Batman Returns because he was given no restraint. Okay, Tim, first one made a uh, first one made a ton of money. Do your thing on this one, and he did. And I can also argue, we mentioned earlier that how Warner Bros. is the biggest problem with DC movies. This might be the first instance 
Batman Returns might be the first instance of Warner Brothers getting gun shy about letting directors do their own thing with films, not yeah. trusting directors to make good films because they wrestled away a third. They wrestled the third Batman movie away from Tim Burton, which would have been epic from what I've read about it. And um, but uh, yeah, Batman Returns is a great film. Got great casting with Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, uh, Danny DeVito as the Penguin. Uh, Christopher Walken chewing scenery as uh, Max Shrek. Um, <laughs> this movie is also required Christmas. Mo- uh, every time I do my cheerathon, every Christmas, I wa- uh, well, every December, I watch uh, Batman Returns because it takes place at Christmas. Damn it! Mm-hmm. Um, returning character, uh, and I think it's also considered like a loose sequel. A lot of the events in the first film aren't mentioned but or like Vicky Vale is name dropped you still got the same Batman same Michael Go same Commissioner Gordon mm-hmm. and this commission this Commissioner Gordon's still a little competent in his job yeah because when you get to Batman forever and Batman and Robin there's like no point in having Commissioner Gordon anymore he's just a cartoon character at that point but <laughs> um but going back to what you said, yeah, this is a very Tim Burton film movie, even from the artwork, design, art and design. Mm-hmm. Like, I have, I have, I'm looking right now at an Oswald Cobblepot for Mayor poster from the movie right now, or you look at the, the design of Shrek's, or even the design of the Red Triangle Circus Gang, that's very much Tim Burton stuff. That's a Tim Burton look, and it fits, and, it, and the Gotham he established, it fits so well, too. Mm-hmm. And one thing I love about both the Tim Burton's Batman movies is that they do not take place in a certain time. So everybody's walking around wearing business suits and has suits and dresses. and um, But the cars are more modern, so you don't get a feel for what time this movie's taking place in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, it, which it are, can kind of be sort of... It's got any... a timeless feel to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's kind of what I like about it too, is you can't, you can't place it anywhere in a time period. It's just sort of, it's there in its own little world. And, and it's kind of neat how he has that sort of blend of like, I don't know, um, you know, the suits and the dresses, whatever. And then you've got more modern vehicles and things. And it's just a, a blend of different worlds. I think it's just what he's, what he's sort of done. And, and it's just, it's done so beautifully well, and um, you know, his his Gotham is is pretty cool, pretty cool to look at too. And it's like the early years because he's had before that he's had Batman, Beetlejuice, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and it. We've said numerous times before, Tim Burton is an artist when he creates. And to quote Pat Oswalt from one of those stand-up specials. <laughs> Get out of my head. <laughs> oh, fuck! <laughs> Every scene is important. <laughs> fuck, I'm shooting so much film. Every scene is a painting. I might have destroyed my voice for that, but it was worth it. 
Batman, Retur- Batman Returns is just as beautiful to look at as any other Tim Burton movie I have seen. It is a work of art. Absolutely. I really wish Warner Brothers didn't get Gunshy and wrestle a third film away from him. Yeah. That really is unfortunate because I'm sure it would have been. I haven't. I actually haven't read too much about it, but um, actually, well, I haven't really. I haven't read anything about it, but I'm sure it would have been just as awesome. Well, um, well, one of the rumors I've read the most about it that makes me go, "I want that," is allegedly Brad Dorf was going to be the Scarecrow. Oh. Like, I want that! <laughs> God damn it. We need that. <laughs> God damn it, Warner Brothers. <laughs> oh, that would have been... That would have been freaking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but it's IMDb trivia, so you take it with a grain of salt. And it also would have cemented my theory that Tim Burton loves One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because he cast Jack Nicholson as the Joker in the first film. Then in Batman Returns, you got Danny DeVito and Van- Vincent Schiavelli cast as villains in this movie. So, yeah, I wonder if Tim Burton loves One Flew Over the if we would have gotten number three with Brad Dourif. Like, hey, I wonder if he likes One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If he, if he would have cast Michael Berryman or Christopher Lloyd, I think we would have had our answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, probably. <laughs> so I think Will Sampson might have been passed on by that point because Will Sampson passed on not long after Poltergeist 2. So. Mm. But, uh, yeah, but Batman Returns... Great movie, and it's also very. It might it might have been probably the first one I've seen too. I don't know if I saw this one or or Batman versus the Kicks. I was only f- I was four going on five when the first Batman movie came out. So I can't remember which one I saw first, Batman or Batman Returns. But I just remember loving it. And there were one scene sticking in my head all throughout childhood that freaked me as a kid is when Penguin bites that dude's nose. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that sticking with me for a long time. <laughs> Freaking me out as a kid. Yeah, that, that certainly would uh, see it as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Guy, probably, guy deserved it, too. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's it's a really good movie, and and uh, yeah, I just watched it recently actually, and um, yeah, it's it's so good, and you know, um, you know, honestly, like Michelle Pfeiffer is like my favorite Catwoman, like she's just amazing sauce. <laughs> Take I, that, Anna I too. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Her in that little leather outfit, forget about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just love, and even I even love the handmade aesthetic of the costume too, with the stitches on it and everything. So, mm-hmm. even though that's not what we get, we don't get that costume in a lot of iterations of the character anymore. But that's still like, that is like the I and 
Yeah, I do like Jim Lee's iteration of the Catwoman costume with like the the go- the cat goggles and everything. But uh, why well, I just love Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman costume so much. Mm-hmm. And she and she played the character so well because you slowly start to see her unhinged throughout the movie. So throughout the movie, she's like, and I think people have said, I think probably Holy Back has said like to get like a polar opposites with Bruce in the first film is trying to like accept the duality of both of his lives and now mm-hmm. he's starting to accept it in the second one but now you see selena kyle doing the same thing but she's not handling it as well as bruce is, so she's starting to spiral more and more into madness as the film goes on mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and it, it, it's interesting like when you first you know when you first meet her and she's just kind of you know a little bit flaky she's you know, just just kind of there, a bit blah, boring, and then she becomes Catwoman, and she's like this completely different person, and and then yeah, then you see her gradual spiral, and and it's it's just brilliantly done, um, yeah, really good. All right, so my number four, most number three. Batman Returns. So now we're going to skip over to my number three, which is Jurassic World. And I had, I also admit that I grew up with the Jurassic Park franchise. Um, being a huge lover of dinosaurs as a kid, too. But, yeah, say what you will about Jurassic Park 3 and Jurassic Park The Lost World. Jurassic World, I think, just recaps so much of my love for the first film and mm-hmm. I guess it could be seen as a rehash or kind of like what The Force Awakens was uh, with New Hope how it's like the same thing but at least now with this one we get the park is open it introduces so many more elements so the park is open now it's been doing well for a while uh but now we're moving to the fact where they are genetically experimenting with these, well, more so making their own dinosaurs with all this experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing this thing break out and just wreak havoc over, yeah, with the first one we get the T Rex and the power going out. Nedry, uh, Dennis Nedry, uh, clogging the system there, uh, causing. A cause and effect of all the events of the first film with uh, the, the, the power going out, the dinosaurs breaking out and hunting these characters throughout the film. But now we've got this dinosaur in the in Jurassic World smart enough to fool to fool these uh, characters and thinking she escaped her cage does and is now wreaking havoc on a, a park full of people. And just mm-hmm. how much chaos that ensues uh, in the end. So now you got all. So, uh, for example, you got her killing the Apatosauruses in the in the field, killing them for sport. She's just killing them and leaving them there. Um, her breaking into the ter- the pterodactyl and pteranodon uh, pen, and getting those guys breaking loose and them attacking the main street and 
Or, uh, I do love the element here we get of Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt makes everything great. Everything, everything he touches is gold. I love how we got him training Raptors. So now, for once, the franchise, the Raptors are not the bad guys in this movie. They're also being the weapons. That's both Jurassic World movies have treated dinos- these dinosaurs as weapons for people. And I do like how they are training Blue, Echo, Charlie, and Delta to be for this. And, of course, Blue is my favorite, one of my favorite on-screen animals of all time now. Blue is just so fucking great as a character. But, uh, so even the, the Indominus Rex, the big bad of this film, is able, is part raptor, so it's able to turn the raptors against Chris Pratt later on in the film, which is a nice little plot twist. And everything in this film pays off so well from beginning to end. So even like the introduction of the Mosasaurus pays off at the end of the film when the the original T-Rex in blue are facing off against Indominus Rex. The Mosasaurus comes back into effect and plays a part in it. And it's like nothing... I don't see any plot holes in this film. Everything they set up pays off. And the events of the previous films are not only alluded to, but they're also... They're, it's not like uh, what's his name? The character. He's wearing the Jurassic Park t-shirt and he's in the control room. It's not referenced, but it acknowledges the fact that the events of the previous films did happen in this universe. So mm-hmm. it is a direct continuation of that original storyline. So much the fact where the, the two boys find the old visitor center from the first film. And, uh, I'm just rambling at this point. Go ahead and take over for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I haven't, I haven't seen uh, Jurassic World. I've seen like, well, I've seen like the last maybe, I don't know, twenty minutes of the movie. Um, but that's really about it. I haven't gone back to to watch the full film. Um, but for what I saw of it, I thought it was a you know, interesting approach, and it definitely, you know, it, it wasn't a, you know, not not a reboot of of Jurassic Park in any way. It was it's a continuation of a story, and and you know, with different, you know, a, a different path that it goes on with the, you know the training the dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff, and and um, so yeah, I kind of like that that route that they take, and it you know there's the you know, and then they have you know the the little homages to to um you know to the the previous films and and acknowledging that that you know they exist and now this is continuing on from you know from previous so it's kind of nice and and it you know that it's not just it's it is its own story but it's also continuing that story from from previous so that's that's kind of neat and so yeah one day i'm i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna watch that full film because I, I definitely I, I want to see it um, it, it looks very cool <laughs> I think I think you'll like it and uh, the sequel to this one Fallen Kingdom has taken some flack for it I enjoyed it because it takes like a dark turn halfway through the film mm. but one thing one thing I love most about this one is that it uh, it's almost like a payoff 
for those of us who have loved the other films growing up, so we finally get to see open and operating mm-hmm. to see how this concept would work. And of course, it clearly doesn't. It's mass chaos. Mm-hmm. Like one of my favorite memes now is like people saying, oh, scientists have started cloning dinosaurs out of chicken embryos or this or that. I'm like, and the response underneath that is, there's literally five movies explaining why this is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, um, or there, there's the other meme. What is the, the picture of Chris Pratt and he's, he's like, um, holding his arms out, whatever, to the other little dinosaurs. And oh, the raptors. The raptors. Yeah. And, um, Oh, it's like how, like handling children or, Whatever, just like handling different things, and like <laughs> that was quite funny. <laughs> and see, it, this nostalgia—if you have a nostalgia for the Jurassic Park franchise alone—it it more than this will more than meet your expectations for the film. It uh, <clears throat> I can't describe it any other than it. It's just so damn good. It uh. It doesn't beat you over the head with nostalgia like, like Forrest Awakens does. But again, John Hammond is mentioned in this film because the new owner of the park, he promised Hammond he would make his dream come true and all the stuff. There's the Hammond Discovery Center and all this stuff. Um, yeah, it kind of it kind of makes sense. Um. To, to have those little mentions, you know, that it, and it's also recognizing the universe too, you know, that this, this past stuff happened and now, okay, they've got like the Hammond Center thing and then, oh, we're going to make his dream come true. Uh, yeah. So that makes, that makes perfect sense, I think. Yeah, the retconning doesn't really happen until you get to uh, the second Jurassic World. Little little retconny because you get a part a mysterious partner that we never knew John Hammond had. So that part's the retconny part of it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is also a good sequel too. But I I just like Jurassic World so much more than Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited. I'm excited for I believe it's gonna be called Dominion. I believe they just started shooting Dominion now. So. Yeah. We'll wait to see what we get with this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it'll be I'm sure it'll be good, but yeah. I definitely have to see see those ones. I think I meant to. Like I, I meant to see it when it came out, but I just never got around to to having a moment to go see it. And what I think one of the most badass awesome awesome nostalgic badass moments for Jurassic World is the original T-Rex in the first film is still kicking and they bring her in at the end of the film. It's so badass. that She is one <laughs> badass bitch. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's a great, it's a great scene too when they bring her in. They tease her early on in the movie mm-hmm. but uh, when they bring her in or they show a T-Rex, T-Rex pen but when they bring her in, it's the original one. It's like, holy shit. 
<laughs> That's great. <laughs> I, w- I would have liked more the balance of practical and CG effects like in the first mm-hmm. one, but this one's a lot more CG than it, or a lot more CG than it is practical, but yeah. it's the times we live in, Daddy. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh. We finally got to the top two. <laughs> yep. Finally. <laughs> My voice is starting to die. <laughs> oh. Melissa, what is your number two? My number two is uh, John Wick 2. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. Um, this movie is great. It's, um, it was actually a historic moment when I was watching these movies. Was I was able to watch all three like on one streaming service. It was amazing. <laughs> I watched first one, and I watched second one, and then I watched third one, and it was just beautiful. Because half the time it's either the second one only, or it's you know it's never or just the first one or whatever. So it was really nice to get to see all three. Um, but I really enjoyed the the second one. It was certainly a good continuation of his story, and just okay, this is where you know you get to know him, get to know John Wick. A little bit in the first one and then you really get to see him in action in the second one and it's just so good it's just like they're they're you know honestly it just keeps you like there's never one part of the movie where you're bored it's like just one hell hell of a ride all the way through to the end and it's just it's so good yeah and one thing as to the gentleman moves aren't super fresh in my mind but um one thing i do love uh i guess about more like keanu reeves in general as you look back at his career to bring it back to bill and ted again is that he didn't let ted define his career mm-hmm. like he could have been type he could have been typecast as that stone whoa stoner dude yeah like the rest of his life then he started breaking out of that shell with like playing the quarterback Shane Falco, so he can play the jock like he is in the replacements. He can play Neo. He can, mm-hmm. uh, can't or was even Hardball. But then I'd probably say one of his first breakout roles, besides uh, after Bill and Ted, was the first Speed movie. Mm. I'd probably yeah. say that's probably one of his first big films after Bill and Ted. Yeah. Um, so, that, so I was like, yeah, he can do this. He can do more than just. Yeah, he's great as Ted, don't get me wrong, but he can do more than this, and he's dipped his toe in so many different uh, uh, pools. Like Even the chick flick scene with doing uh, The Lake House with Sandra Bullock, which I saw that back in the theaters way back in the day, and it's enjoyable. I'm not a huge chick, chick flick dude, but it's enjoyable. Yeah. But yeah, I really well, like that uh, about him too. Like he's not—he—he's such a flexible actor. Like he—he—he he, he doesn't do one thing. Like he's not just a comedy guy. He's not just a drama guy. He's not—you can't put a label on him because he's done so many different things. And you know that's what I—I I really like about 
about actors that do that. Like, they're not just strictly one thing, that they're all kinds of things. And, you know, there were, you know, like, I remember it was an interview, it was a a Nerdist interview, and Chris Hardwick was talking to Brian Cranston. And Brian Cranston's very much the same way, where he said, you know, the Hollywood likes to put labels on people in in the media as well. And like, oh, he's a comedy guy, he's a whatever guy. But, you know, for him, he doesn't do that either. He'll do every little thing, whether it's even in different things, like, you know, we'll do a play or do a movie or a TV show, whatever. Like, and it's all different genres. And that's what I really like about Keanu, too, is that he does all these different things. And he's not just, you know, he's not just one character. He, he could have been. He could have milked that for ages. <laughs> but he didn't. And I'm glad he didn't. You know, I'm, I'm glad he didn't pull an Ari Lehman and just milk being one character for millions of years even if he only played it for five minutes <laughs> but <laughs> that's a whole other story but uh <laughs> but yeah like i i you know i i see like he's that character he's john wick in the in the movies he's not anybody else and that's what i really like um it's it's also kind of funny to see if you follow keanu on like social media or whatever, it, people post about Keanu Reeves. It's like he's genuinely one of the nicest, coolest people to ever exist. Mm. And you just see him like watching him, they watch a movie where he's just laying waste to all these people. It's just in a way kind of funny because you just see him like, oh, he's just he's the guy that gives up his seat to the pregnant lady in the bus. Or you watch him petting puppies or something like that in the photo yeah. shooter, cracking these one-off jokes like "What keeps you on? What what keeps you down to earth?" And he goes, "His response is gravity, mostly." Seeing <laughs> 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 him is like one of these most genuine salt of the earth people, mm-hmm. and then just, just watching him as this total badass, <laughs> slay waste of people at the same time is just so great. I love that about him. Yeah, yeah, I, I love and, that, and it, and it must have been fun for him too, like playing somebody who's not, who's who's the polar opposite of himself. You know, he's he's seat of the earth, totally grounded guy, playing this guy who just murders people left, right, and center. It's like that. That must have been so much fun to play this completely different person. And and we know from the Matrix trilogy that he can play a badass character yeah. so yeah absolutely i've also i've also been cracking jokes lately with the new bill and ted trailers coming out that even though he's only been playing john wick for just a little bit it's still so weird to see him without a beard in the it, bill and ted trailers it really is <laughs> I've, I've seen i've seen way more films with keanu where he doesn't have a beard but then when i see him in the just seen him in John Wick because he's only been doing John Wick movies for what, not even what five to ten years, like five years maybe. Something John like Wick that, yeah. movies have been coming out, so yeah. you, you see him in this very small, you see him in this very small uh, time frame of having this beard, and you see him without it. All of a sudden, it's like wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost you almost don't recognize him. It's like who's that? Oh, it's 
Where's your beard, dude? Where is it? <laughs> I mean that. I mean that in the most sincere way possible. Oh, yeah. He looks good yeah. with or without it, but it's just it's just kind of weird. Like, yeah, he's only had this beard for this character mostly, but you see him without it. Like, you know what? It's it's been almost thirty years since we've had a Bill and Ted movie, so you could get away with Bill having a beard or a goatee at this point. But you totally could. But uh. Or I mean Ted, sorry. You could go with Ted yeah, having a... Yeah, yeah. You could get... You, it's been 30 years. So you get away with Ted having a, a beard all these oh, years yeah. later. But it, it just kind of catches you off guard. Like it, it's, it's like a little funny thing that they've caught. Like, oh, that's kind of... It's just like so weird seeing him without a beard right now. <laughs> Probably because we've gotten such... That's pretty much all we've gotten of Keanu lately is just John Wick films. But... Um, mm-hmm. But even like now we're getting him in the new SpongeBob movie too, as a, in a cameo. So again, it it, uh, it uh, addresses that range that he has just to do things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. He he definitely yeah. I, I, that's why I, like you know I I didn't think I had seen as many movies as I have with him in it, but I realized I, I have seen quite a few movies with him and I, and I've liked him in, in all the things that I have seen him in. So, yeah. He's definitely an actor who doesn't disappoint. No, no, he, he's never, he's never once disappointed me and I, he's always been good in, in all his films that he's been in. Well, I'm sitting here thinking I'll try not to hurt myself. <laughs> but, but I'm wondering, I said Speed might have been one of his first big breakout roles where he could be he could be an action star. I wonder if some people some people would probably debate that maybe Point Break would be too. Mm. Yeah, maybe. So maybe. Point Break so Point Break or Speed, either we could probably point out like, hey, Keanu Reeves is just—he's just not Ted from Bill and Ted. He's this guy that can do action. He can do, he can play Neo, whatever, whatever have mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, so, my number two. I think again, this is going to anger some people because okay, I had Empire Solo on my list. Now this movie is my number two. What could possibly be my number one? My number two is The Dark Knight from Christopher Nolan, two thousand two thousand eight. And um, <clears throat> I've said numerous times this is the Batman film that got me back into comic book collecting big bad way. Mm. Um. Heath Ledger just iconic as the Joker in this film, and even we've mentioned numerous times, numerous episodes before. Even I was even a doubter at first when I saw Heath Ledger was the Joker. I'm like, oh, the guy from Ten Things I Hate About You. Come on, man. Yeah. Then you see him on that first opening scene. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> yep. Um. And of the three. Nolan movies this one is by far my favorite it is it keeps your attention the whole time mm-hmm. the story is tight like there oh, yeah. is nothing wrong with the story at all uh, we did mention back talking about uh, 
some of the other films, like how you keep the same cast. Yeah, we'd mentioned Maggie Gyllenhaal replacing Katie Holmes. Okay, whatever. I'll live with it, I guess. I I don't really have an affinity for either actress, Maggie or Katie Holmes. Maybe mm-hmm. Maggie a little more than Katie Holmes, I guess, in my opinion. Probably because I've seen Maggie Gyllenhaal in more things. <clears throat> but uh, a lot of it comes down to me with, with Ledger's acting as the uh, as Joker. Um Every time he's on screen, it just catches your catches your attention. Um, yeah, I do. Bale is not my favorite Batman. I would say he's probably like my th- third behind Keaton and Affleck. Um, but this is where I think in my mind that uh, Bale's Batman voice gets a little weird. It starts to get a lot more unintelligible when he starts yelling and screaming in the Batman voice. Mm. Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. He's off the fucking rails with that fucking voice in that movie. Oh, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh, Dark Knight is such, such a. It's not just a, a a comic book film. It is like a perfect action film. Absolutely. And uh, I, I'm sorry, my brain is fried right now um take over for me for a minute so i can <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely the it's the perfect action film it's got you know the ca- brilliant cast of characters and it's got so much that happens throughout and it's just you the action begins with you know the the bank robbery and then it just goes on from there like it, it just doesn't seem to really you know take a, a a bit of a breath of stuff that's going on and yeah. And and like, yeah, Heath Ledger's Joker just fucking brilliant. Like just, uh, it just blows your mind how, how good he portrayed that, that character. And, and it it most certainly captures your attention when when he's on screen. It's like, you're fully engaged with it. And, you know, you're honestly like, you know, like sometimes, you know, when I'm like, I'm watching a movie or something like I might, I might lose a little bit of attention and then like go back. But this one, I am fully engaged in the film. Like it's, you know, from beginning to end, I'm fully on, on board with it. And I, and I love it. And I, and you know, like I, I really love, you know, how dark it, it kind of gets like, especially with, you know, one of my favorite scenes being like the, the fairy scene where they have that sort of ethical decision of, well, who the, who do we kill? Like, uh, you know, like they, they kind of realized, uh, oh, like, you know, we don't know what to do. And it's just this whole kind of a, you know, a little bit of a real issue. Like if you were put in that position of like, well, what, uh, huh, what? Like it's, it's this huge thing. And, and, um, yeah, um, yeah, I enjoy, you know, everything about it. It's, it's so well done and, and, uh. Yeah, it's it's really really good. Um, yeah, I, I definitely that was like my like first, yeah, my first DC film that I ever that I ever saw. <laughs> and and I and uh, actually I saw it on like DVD or something, um, and I, and I loved it. Like I, I really loved it. It was just so good, 
so brilliantly done. And like there there really isn't any plot holes. You can't you, you can't really nitpick it at, at all. Really, I have no nitpicks whatsoever. Um, it's yeah. It's it's basically written in stone. There's nothing you can change about it or do anything with. Like it's just it's so good. Yeah. And uh, one thing I, I I think the big the biggest thing I have against Nolan's movies is the fact that he, he that he tried to set it in reality. Mm-hmm. It, it, it ties your hands behind your back of what you can do. So yeah, you can't have Joker fall into a vat of chemicals and his skin is bleached and his hair is green and all that stuff. But I do like how he turned this Joker into like an anarchist. Mm-hmm. And this guy, like Michael, like Michael Caine's effort says, he's some people just want to watch the world burn, and this Joker very much is that. He's not the he is causing chaos like a Joker would, mm-hmm. but it's more anarchy base he is causing anarchy he is yeah. just because and joker is a character i've i've said numerous times he's my favorite combo character of all time he is something you can do anything with so oh, yeah so jack he jared leto um joaquin phoenix mark hamill any of those live action or voice acting jokers you can do anything with it'll work Absolutely, and, um, and Heath was a Heath is probably if I really had to pick a life action Joker, I always say Mark Campbell's my favorite. But if I had to pick a very favorite, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, "Okay, pick your favorite live action Joker," I, I would probably let's say it was probably be Heath Ledger, just because his performance is just legendary, and it's, you cannot oh, yeah. talk about this film without talking about his performance as the Joker. Oh yeah, absolutely, and and yeah, I, I would be in the same spot too. Like he's that—that's my favorite, you know, live-action performance. It's just so—it's it, so good, and and I really like that, you know, they take the the path of kind of anarchy. At least he's he's not so much he you know like he he burns the pile of money. Like he he doesn't really care about it. It's just for the fact of just being an absolute shit disturber. He was gonna do it, <laughs> you know. It's it's kind of his what what he he likes to do, and he does it so well. And he just he just wants to cause chaos and just sit back and you know, yeah, watch that world burn. Like that that's his satisfaction is just do, being able to do that. And you know, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do love the Joker Batman dynamic that we get with this too, mm-hmm. because it's often said that Joker's biggest love isn't Harley; it's Batman. Oh yeah, <laughs> Joker loves Batman, and this is the of the. Oh, we don't get all. We didn't get much of Aff, We didn't get any of uh, Leto and much of Leto and Affleck together on screen. Just that quick chase scene in Suicide Squad. Um. <clears throat> But I think the dynamic, the, that Joker Batman love, is more apparent in this film. Even though we don't get it, we get it like towards the end. We do get a lot of his obsession with who Batman is in this, but that Batman Joker love is more. 
is more apparent in this film than it is with Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton. Um, yeah. with, with Batman United, it's more who made okay, you made me, I made you. But this one, Joker tells him that interrogation is saying, you complete me. Mm-hmm. And when he's hanging off the side of the building, I'm feeling we're gonna we're destined to do this forever. We could share a padded cell and all that stuff. So, so there's yeah. that's like one thing Nolan did accomplish really well was that that Batman that love that Joker has for Batman. Yeah, like we get we get a lot in the comics. So to see that transferred, that's something like very comic-y that he transferred over like his obsession with Batman. Yeah, and it, and it also reminds me of, and it was in a, um, an interview with Mark Hamill because he had talking about his voice acting and and you know Joker reacting to, um, Batman dying and that oh without Batman there is no punchline, and you know it's just yeah without Batman he's Joker's just like. Nothing. Like he just doesn't know what to do with himself. <laughs> he, and, and he doesn't have he doesn't have somebody to bounce off his you know ridiculous stuff with or the stuff that he does or whatever. Like without him, it's like uh, I don't know. <laughs> and that's what makes like the the Batman Lego movie that much more funny because. Um, near the end, like Joker really wants Batman to say that he hates him, and that just means the world to him, right? I was like, well, he, well, <laughs> he wants he, he wants Batman he wants Batman to say that he's his greatest villain or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So you get so you get, so you get that Joker Batman love there too of Joker's obsession with Batman and mm-hmm. how much he loves him. Yeah, yeah. It's that's, just, that's another. That's another good big screen adaptation of that that relationship between Batman and Joker. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Melissa, we've reached the top. We have finally. <laughs> what is your favorite sequel of all time? Well, my mine's gonna. Uh, make all the make all the people happy, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, my number one is The Empire Strikes Back. Um, it's just it's such a good sequel, and I, I really love how it it was explored, like the relationship you know between Han and Leia, and then you've got Lando coming in, and then we also meet you know Yoda, and like you know. Um, Luke going to Dagobah and doing his Jedi training and see his inner conflict and all that kind of stuff and him working through Jedi training and and just it's such a um, it's such a good film and it's got the good balance of all the like the sort of the intense action sequences and then you've got sort of the you know not so action packed stuff but it's it's still a really engaging movie and it's it's so good um you know i definitely like that they you know definitely went down that darker path but i think it kind of needed to like if it was if all the the movies were sort of the lighthearted and fun like a new hope is or even return of the jedi 
eh, you have to have that sort of dark moment. And um, that certainly, you know, Empire certainly had that. And it just, you know, um, we kind of saw it coming with, you know, with Darth Vader and, and Luke and all that. But although I, I was one of those who was like, what the fuck? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, I, my mind blew at that moment. Like, <laughs> it's just like boom there goes my mind there's like pieces of it everywhere <laughs> um but um yeah it just yeah so good and and i really like that you know leia had much more of a you know um so the presence in the film like more just she's solid in her, her role and who she is and you know, how she's, um, is with the rebels and all that kind of stuff. And just, you know, she's so much, um, stronger than in, than in a new hope, although you're just kind of getting to know her in the first film anyway. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I really love it. It's, it's good. (laughs) Yeah. And, to steal to steal from uh, the first Clerks movie, Dante's opinion of why Empire is better because the Empire had the better ending. It ends on a down note, and that's what life is: is a series of series of down endings. And uh, it's nice to see the tables turned a little bit, and it ends on that down note to see the Empire winning this one. Because as much as I love the Star Wars series, would you really want to see? The good guys winning every time at the end of every movie would it get a little, oh, little old after a while? Yeah, yeah, that that would be really boring, and that's kind of what I was sort of um, getting at, like with you know it being if if they were all a new hope, it just it just wouldn't be the trilogy that it is like it just it would be fine but it would also get really old because you're basically rehashing the same story over and over again and so to have that second film be the darker you know a little bit more you know intense story is just perfect and um you know they they couldn't have they couldn't have done it any better um you know, and I, and I really like, you know, the variety of, like, they're on Hoth, and then they're, you know, just all the different environments that they're in is just incredible. Like, it's, you got Hoth, you got Dagobah, and then you got, you know, Cloud City, and just all these different things. It's really, really, uh, really good. And, and like, you know, I really like that there's still that little bit of, of humor in it, too. It's not all just doom and gloom and and whatever so you've you've got that fine balance of humor a little bit lighthearted, and then you got that the heavier moments and and um it's just so well knit together um yeah <laughs> like you said like having that down ending it's gonna hook you into watching the it's gonna hook you into watching jedi Oh yeah. It's like well, holy, like holy shit! Like Hans, Hans frozen in carbonite. Uh, uh, Luke finds out Vader is his father. It's like holy shit! How are they gonna come back from this? Oh, exactly. It's it's and, yeah. And I do like it. Does it shows the and it shows the repercussions of the first film? Yeah, these 
the Jedi have to be on the run because now the Empire is hunting them, trying to track mm-hmm. them down to blow up the Death Star. So they have to be on the run. And you're right, Leia. I like how Leia does have a stronger role in this movie. She's just not the for two thirds of the first movie. She's just a hostage that has to be saved mm-hmm. in the first film. So now she's starting to take her place as the general of this army mm-hmm. and uh, help launch this attack on the Empire. And I like how the Empire comes back stronger in the film. Okay, we are avenging the Death Star and uh, Peter Cushion's character. Uh, Grand... Grand... Uh, 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 Tarkin. Okay, Grand Moff Tarkin? Grand Moff Tarkin? I think so. That's the, I, Grand, so we had we to avenge Grand Moff Tarkin and everything else. And you're going to pay. You're going to pay for what you did. We do not forget what you guys did. This is not a one and done. Like, you might have won the battle, but you've lost the war. So it's like the Empire taking their blow at the Jedi, okay? Mm-hmm. It's it's the it's the it's the Empire's retaliation to this Jedi uprising, or to the to the rebellion. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have that. So it's okay. The underdogs won the first battle, but now here's the retaliation from the from the evil hand of the Empire. Mm-hmm. And you, you have but, a little bit more of a challenge this time. You know, it's it's not going to be as easy as it was the first time. It's going to help the Jedi. It's going to help the rebellion have that. It's gonna it's gonna put the rebellion back in the underdog spot again. Mm-hmm. Uh, going into Jedi, because how many times like how many times is Rocky the underdog in all of his films? And like after all, well, you know he's going to win. Mm-hmm. That's why I like having like Rob in that first Rocky movie. He loses in the first Rocky movie. But then if you keep making somebody the underdog, you're not going to be rooting for him as much. Well, so exactly. I, I think having the, the Rebellion take that loss in Empire makes Jedi a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Plus, I think so. Plus, it's got one of the most iconic scenes in movie history with, no, I am your father. I said it. It is not Luke, I am your father. It's no, no I am I your am father. Him. Yep. <laughs> Get over it. That's yep. the line. <laughs> yeah. I, I cannot believe, I can't believe how how much that is misquoted, but that's that's the whole other tangent right there. But, uh... Yeah. That, that. <laughs> It's Empire, Snow White, and Jaws. <laughs> Three of yep. the most misquoted movie lines of all time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so good. And, and I also like how, you know, at the end, like, just before Han's going to be putting carbonite and, you know... Leia's like, I love you. And he's like, I know. It's like, that's just so perfect. So perfect. Just like for Han, because he's just so a little bit arrogant into himself. Like, look at me, I'm whatever. And it's just for him to say what he says is just brilliant. And uh, yeah, it, it just works so well. And, and uh, yeah. <laughs> 
it, it fits the character well. Absolutely. And it, it is so funny, like, when you're, you're you know, the, the documentary Empire of Dreams, um, you know, how they did that take. I don't know. I can't remember the number, but it was like, they did it so many times. And it's just like, finally, it was like, you know, Irvin Kirshner was like, okay, just roll it and let's just do get through the scene. And then basically it was Harrison Ford improv, like just, I love you. I know. And that was it. Like it just couldn't have been more perfect. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I like that. They, they, they had to do that over and over again because he had to get that perfect line. That. <laughs> I remember seeing the same thing on a VH1 special called When Star Wars Ruled the World, and they talk about that at the end, how Harrison Ford brought up, it goes, sing I love you, I love you too, Is that it's not Han Solo. It doesn't feel no. like Han Solo. So then they pitched the I know thing, and like so much better. Yeah. So I love how they listen to Harrison Ford, and like, yeah. yeah like, you're right, was... you're right. And that probably, that probably would have taken a lot of people out of Han Solo. Like, oh, he's gone soft, or... Yeah, yeah, like yeah, they're they're you know you explored the 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 relation like Condoleia's relationship or whatever, and it gets a tiny bit mushy, but not really. Um, and so then it just kind of continues that that part of just yeah, he's he's still got you know some ego in him, and he's he's not completely soft. <laughs> he's still the scruffy. He's still the scruffy looking nerf herder we all love. Yep. <laughs> Which again, another favorite meme of mine is when Leia calls him a scruffy looking nerf herder and he replies with you kiss your brother with that mouth. (laughs) 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 I do like the I like the who's scruffy line that we actually get, but I do love the who you kiss your brother with that mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what's your uh, what's your number one? I'm about to make all twelve of our listeners scream "What the fuck!" simultaneously when I say my favorite sequel of all time is Crocodile Dundee two. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite sequel is Nostalgia. I grew up with the Crocodile movies. I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in 84, so I grew up on a lot of 80s films. And the both Crocodile Nui movies, I watched a lot as a kid growing up. And I think even for a while, I think the two of them kind of blended together for me. And much like how Jamie says with the Robo, RoboCop movies, there's only two RoboCop movies. In my mind, there's only two Crocodile Dundee movies because I know there's I know there's Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. I haven't seen it, and I think they're looking at working on something else called like the Wonderful Mr. Dundee or something like that. Mm. Um, there's only two Crocodile Dundee movies in my mind, and um, what I love about this one is you get the same. Yeah, you brought back Paul Hogan. You brought by, back his wife, who played uh, his love interest from the first one. You brought back some of the Australian characters. And uh, what I love is, like, 
much like some of the other films on my list, how it's like a rehash of the first film. This one isn't really much of a rehash. Um, the first Crocodile Day movie, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's this reporter from New York. She goes to Australia to do a story about this guy named Crocodile Dundee who lives in the outback in Australia and brings him to New York so he can... It's like a fish-out-of-water story, essentially. So how he's adapting from being in the outback of Australia to being in New York City in the 80s. And it's a, and it's got it's a comedy action, much, much like the second one is. So the second one picks up with... Uh, oh, I don't want to dribble too much on first quick out of the D movie, but the uh, second movie picks up with... Uh, they're still in New York... Uh, there's still there's still a couple. They become a couple by the end of the first film. Um, you learn that uh, I'm trying to think of her character's name, Sue, Sue's first husband, and from the first uh, that you hear about in the first film was a photographer. The film opens up with him taking photos of, uh, or he's an undercover cigar agent style photographer. Um, taking these photos of a uh, drug cartel down in Columbia, I believe it is. They spot him, so they're going after him to get the, the pictures that he took. He's able to get the film sent off to Sue in New York before they catch up to him and eventually kill him. So these two brothers that are the drug lords in this movie come to New York, or they have out, uh, like a house or whatever in New York, and they kidnap Sue, who has the film, and a lot of the film is uh, uh, Mick Dundee gets Sue back from them, from the brothers in New York. They're still after after her for this film, so they decide, okay, they're to come get us on my territory, so they go back to Australia. So it's the brothers have to go to Australia to try to get the film back from them, and so they're now in Mick's territory. And... So he has the upper hand of being in the outback, so using all his tricks of the trade, uh, using his aborigine background, all that stuff, trying to get the film back, uh, trying to get the, trying to get this film from them, and all that stuff. So I don't want to spoil the ending for you, but um, <laughs> so I like how they, they, it's not really a fish out of water anymore. Yeah, Mick's still adapting a little bit to the New York City life, but then him going to his say do you guys want this okay if we have to defeat these guys we're going to do it on my turf so unless you want to count the Colombian brothers being fish out of water for them but it's not really focused around them adapting it's them hunting Mick in his essentially in his backyard in the outback in Australia mm-hmm. but but just have that nostalgia and having it it not being a rehash of the first one it still had it doing something different and the story still being as strong as the first one, much like Bill and Ted's bogus journey, much like ghostbusters two. It's doing something or, or even uh gremlins to the new batch doing something different, but still being as strong of a story as the first one was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've only seen, I've only seen the first one and it, it's been God, it's been years since I've <laughs> I've seen the first one. Um, I have I haven't seen the second one though. 
But I remember really liking the first one, though. It, it, it is... I still say to this day, it's just as strong as the first one is. Mm. It, ca- it captures a lot of the essence of the first one, but it's not a rehash of the same story. Yeah. It's not that fish out, it's not that fish out of water story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's another movie I'll have to add to my list to see. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so... Like in the first film, you get that, that that legend of Mick Dundee and what he can do and how he's adapting to life in New York and how he's doing the things he would do in Australia and New York. But now you're seeing him do what he does in his environment. Mm-hmm. So almost like it's not an origin story, but it's sort of like this is why he is known for what he is. Yeah, he he's playing his he's playing his surroundings to his advantage mm-hmm. to get the, the to get this threat off of him and his his uh, girlfriend's back. Yeah. Yeah. So, Crocodile Dundee Two is just my favorite single of all time. Which, like I said, everybody they didn't turn it off already. Like, you know, what the fuck? The most <laughs> random favorite sequel ever. <laughs> well, that's good though. I can't just you know, you can't can't be all the same in our in our likes and dislikes of stuff. So it's good you went different. <laughs> Menus at restaurants. Exactly. Okay, so there you have it. Our top ten sequels of all time. Uh, we're quickly quickly going to run through, through, run them down again real quick for you in case you missed it because you probably turned it off when I said Empire was so low on my list, or because I said Crocodile Dundee number number two was my favorite one. So very quickly, our honorable mentions were for Melissa they were Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Lethal Weapon Two, Despicable Me Two. And Gremlins 2, The New Boo Batch. My honorable mentions were D2, The Mighty Ducks Are Back. Gardens of the Galaxy Volume 2, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Gremlins 2, The New Batch. And Slapshot 2. Nice. And then, um, just to rehash really quickly, our, um, our top tens. Um my top 10 favorite sequels. I'm going to start with Jared's. Um, his at number 10 was uh, Grumpier Old Men. At number 9 was Empire Strikes Back. At number 8 was Ghostbusters 2. Uh, number 7, Major League 2. Number 6, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. Uh, number 5, Revenge of the Nerds, Nerds in Paradise. Uh, number 4, Batman Returns. Number 3, Jurassic World. Number 2, Dark Knight. And number one, Crocodile Dundee 2. And then uh, we go over to my top ten uh, favorite sequels. At uh, number ten was Sherlock Holmes and the Game of Shadows. At uh, number nine was Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Number eight was Ghostbusters 2. Uh, number seven was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Number six is Iron Man 2. Number five is Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Number four, Toy Story 2. 
Number three, Batman Returns. Number two, John Wick 2. And then number one, Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. Very nice. I like your fail-safe number one. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even... um, I just was like... Usually you're you're the more controversial one. (laughs) Usually. Maybe maybe I'm mellowing out a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> don't let, don't let that get around too much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I didn't even think of of Empire as like the the one that everybody would pick as a favorite sequel. I don't know. It was just one that was like, yeah, that that needs to be number one on my list. Um, so that's what it was. And I, <laughs> And I guess it's going to make all the other nerds happy that I made it my number one. <laughs> and a lot of my reasoning is I want to watch The New Hope more than I watch Empire, I think. Yeah. And then, like, for you, like, your number one was nostalgia. So that makes perfect sense why it would be, why it would be number one. Yeah. So... There it is. We're excited to hear some of your guys' uh, favorite sequels. Maybe you have... They're, I don't know about Melissa. I probably easily could have added like another ten or fifteen more to this, just because there's so many good sequels out there. Oh, absolutely. I, I but, didn't uh, realize I didn't realize how many sequels I actually liked. I, I didn't think there were that many, but that proved my I proved myself wrong. So. <laughs> like, what about this one? What about this one? What about this one? Like, oh yeah, do I don't want to be here for hours, even though we've already been here for three at this point. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what? That's why they have menus at restaurants. Different tastes for different people. Exactly. Yep. So, uh, uh, let's bring it on home here. So, <laughs> Melissa, where can the listeners keep up with you? Uh, they can keep up with me on the tweets and Instagrams. Um, on Instagram, it's... Um, Miss Melissa N25, all lowercase, nothing fancy. Uh, you can follow me on there, and I've got mostly like nature pics that I've taken, maybe a couple selfies here and there, uh, friend pictures, but it's all kind of random and um, awesome. So if you want to check that out, you can certainly follow me there. Uh, you can also follow me, like as I said, on Twitter. Um, I'm at um, Miss Melissa N on Twitter. Um, you can find me on there. I'm I'm occasionally on there uh, as of late. I'm just because of a lot of stuff going on and all that kind of thing. Um, so, but when I am on there, it's usually to retweet something funny or you know whatever. So you can certainly follow me on on there if you wish to follow me on there. Um, where can they find you, Jared? Uh, well, if you want to send me hate mail on Twitter or look at pictures of my cats on Instagram, you can follow me at QCA underscore Mista underscore J. Yeah, I'm not as active on Facebook and I'm not as active on Instagram and Twitter as much. Mostly, like I said, Instagram's pictures of my cats or random nerdy shit I find. Or Twitter is me trying to get celebrities I love to acknowledge my existence. It's just no always work at time. 
So if you want to send me hate tweets why I like Crocodile Dundee better, too, better than Empire Strikes Back, that's where you can do that. <laughs> as a podcast as a whole, you can find us on Facebook, United Nations Podcast. Um, on Facebook, you'll find us share our episodes there. You'll see us sharing um, our friends' businesses that have been part of our show, like my friend Mikey Rare, him and his wife run R&F Haberdashery. Um, You'll see us sharing their ads and everything, especially since my cats are ambassadors for their cat collars. So you share, see us sharing their stuff a lot. You'll also see us sharing our friend Jason's business at Best Stitch Custom Clothing quite a bit because they are the official, unofficial clothing sponsors of the United Nations because we rep a lot of flannel, and I'm excited for cooler weather so I can start wearing my Death Stitches again. <laughs> Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at uh, Nerd Nations Pod. Um, you'll find us sharing a lot of photos. Just find us sharing. Uh, you'll find us sharing our friends' shows stuff a lot too. So our friends Robert and Anthea at Pods and Monsters, or Tim and Guy at Please Rewind, or Andy's shows from the Real Fans Network. You'll find us sharing their stuff and getting their word out. Uh, so always feel free to reach out to us there you can also reach out to us on email if you want to send us an email we'll read it on the air uh, Nations Podcast at gmail.com so if you want to get a hold of us for episode suggestions or questions we'll be happy to answer them the best we can um, so you can obviously you can find our show at our home on Podbean um, you just search up uh Nerd and Nations podcast, and you'll definitely find it there. Give it a, I think you can give it a follow. You give it a follow, and also leave a review. And you're also able to comment on specific episodes if you wanna, if you have comments or anything. Um, definitely uh, do that. Um, and you can also find us on Apple Podcasts. And same thing there. You can give a follow and or subscribe and. Um, also leave us a review and, and comments. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Um, even, you know, any suggestions for future podcast episodes, we're certainly welcome to them. So, because I know we've we've got ideas and things, but we, we might run out or, or there might be one that we haven't um, thought of yet. So absolutely pass it along to us uh, and we'll do the, the best that we can. We're certainly not experts, but we can certainly do our research and have a good discussion about it. So um, that's where you can find us. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we're, we're starting season two of our show. We're going to end things a little bit differently because, you know what, times are still rough out there. So make sure you guys are looking out for each other. As always, we are nerds and we're pretty proud of it, but always remember – be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. The thoughts and opinions expressed by your ambassadors and their guests are theirs and theirs alone. And do not represent the companies they happen to work for. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys.